Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Familiarity breeds contempt. That holds true in some cases regarding the true story of Christmas. We read Luke's account in a great account of what occurred. Then now we're going to look at Matthew's account. The other two gospel writers did not give accounts in detail of the nativity. But we need to understand that when we look into any part of God's Word, we're on holy ground. And there's perhaps no holier ground than the event of the birth of Jesus, the Son of God. And so let's consider it together. We're reading from Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read the entire passage and then make some comments about how people can respond to Jesus. Verse 1 of Matthew 2, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi, and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. In the case of Herod, he was a person who responded to the baby Jesus with insecurity. Look again at verse 3. <coughs> Excuse me. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. It'd be easy to pass over the fact that he was troubled in all of Jerusalem with him. You see, Herod had a history. He had a history of being very insecure about his position as king. It was rooted in his own sinful nature, but it really was rooted in the fact 
that he was never accepted as the king of Israel. The reason being is that he was not a descendant of Jacob. He was a descendant, rather, of Esau, who was one who sold his birthright to his younger brother. And so he was always looked down upon. A careful study of his reign in this era would indicate in this period there was no other king of Israel who accomplished so much. He was the one who engineered many welfare programs that helped the rank-and-file citizens of Israel, but he was just not acceptable. The fact that all of Israel was troubled when they heard that he was troubled is rooted also in his history, not just his heritage, where he came from, but what he did to protect his position. His insecurity showed up in the fact that he thought, at least, that his beloved wife, Mary Omni, was one who was hatching a plot to have him assassinated. Nothing could have been further from the truth, but he had her killed. In his grief, he loved her so much. This shows the wickedness and the twistedness of a mind that is so insecure. So historians tell us that he went to her funeral bier, and there he draped himself over her body and wept and wept, mourning her loss and wishing that he had not done what he did. Two of his sons were actually trying to kill him, and he killed them as a result. And Caesar Augustus, who was his superior, made this comment, sort of a wry comment. He said, it's better to be the pig of Herod than to be his son. The Greek word for pig and son are the exact spelling except for one letter. So you couldn't even be safe if you were his offspring. He was so sensitive and insecure. And when he thought about Jesus, all he could think about was, they say he's the king of the Jews. And I've got to find out. And we know what he did. Upon finding out, if we were to read, and we won't take time to, beginning in verse 16, he sent a detachment of soldiers when he found out where the baby had been born, and they were to kill all the infant boys two years or younger. He was a man who found himself insecure when it came to relating to Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. It's probable that there's more than one person this evening listening to what I'm saying. And you find the same security, insecurity, with regard to Jesus. You've debated whether to recognize him as your Lord, but you're reluctant to give him your life. You believe he's going to rob you of life. He's going to make life dull and uninteresting. Well, remember what Jesus said about himself. I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is not interested in causing you or me to have a lack of joy. To the contrary, he gives us incredible joy. <coughs> Third time's a charm. 
What we know about Jesus, he would make some pretty hard sayings after he grew into adulthood. And one of them was, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then a couple of verses later, he says, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel shall save it. If Herod had only known what he could have been had he yielded himself to the Lord. In the book of Jeremiah 29, the Bible says, God speaks, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, that's the word shalom, the best which life has to offer, and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. This is our Lord's desire for us. If you're struggling with insecurity, be done with it. Tonight could be the day that you really come to know Jesus and no longer see him as a threat. That was the way in which Herod viewed him. We, need, we know that that is not the case. The second, it's a group, two groups of people now that give us insight into how people relate to Jesus. And it would be the scribes and the chief priests. When Herod heard that the king of the Jews had been born, he consulted the scholars, the biblical scholars. It is said that scribes could quote the entire Torah faultlessly. They could tell you where a word occurred on the page of papyrus upon which it was written. I mean, they knew the Bible back and forth, but to them it was a dead book. They were insincere because this kind of familiarity does not only breed contempt, but also complacency. When we look at the Bible as something to study without any thought about what we're going to do with what we learn, we are being just like these insincere scholars where they did not take to heart what was said. In the book of James, many of you know this, in the Bible it says that be not hearers of the word, but doers also. Many times we hear truth and we're glutted with truth in the American church, but we sit on it. We don't apply it. We don't believe what it says. We know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God, so we will continue to submit ourselves to it. But please understand, this is not an exercise that we find ourselves in at this moment, looking at God's Word and looking for direction to walk more fully in the Lord. So these men were insincere. They were intellectually curious, curious, and they used that as an excuse for celebrating events like the Passover and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the other great festivals that were outlined in the Law of Moses. Are you such a person? Are you a person in, in a group like this at this time of the year? There are probably some people who came as a favor to someone else We'd rather not be here, and this is, this is torturous for you to be here. If you came every Sunday, it would be even more torturous, I believe, believe me. But what we know is, is that the Lord, He speaks truth to us. And as Jesus said, 
If you abide in my word and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, it shall be done for you. And if you do that, you shall know the truth. And what will the truth do? It will set us free. And it's true, isn't it? When we die to ourselves and we don't see the Lord as someone who's really going to take over our lives and spoil it, but we realize we were created to begin with by God in the image of God so that we could glorify God. And in glorifying God, we find our greatest joy. If you haven't tried it, you ought to submit to the Lord and start doing it. It's not just for preachers, by the way. Thank God we have a lot of people who've never stood in front of a group of people and talked, but they glorify God because they know who he is and they love him and they seek to serve him. There's another group. It's the third and final response that we can make to the person and birth of Jesus Christ. What's the first one? We can view him as a problem and see him as someone who's trying to mess our lives up. We're insecure like Herod was. But others are like these scholars. And I'm for scholarship. I want to be on record. I'm for good biblical scholarship with an emphasis on biblical. But what I do know is you can get lost in academics. One of the ways that I was taught in seminary that I as a seminary student could lose the fullness of the Holy Spirit was to allow my intellectual intake to surpass my spiritual relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. And I'm so happy that somebody loved me enough to teach me that because there's an alluring draw that is placed before us when it comes to intellectual development. Here's the third group, second group really, of the three different possible responses that are at least suggested in this passage of Scripture, and that is to respond to Jesus with inquisitiveness. And these, of course, are the Magi. Now let's look again at verses 1 and 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi. This is a word for people who were wise men. That's why we call them wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Does that speak of an inquiring mind? Long ago, there was some sort of advertisement on radio. I'd hear it quite often. And it said, inquiring minds want to know. Some of you have a genuine desire to know. And if you pursue that, as you look in the Word of God and you interact with the person of Jesus Christ, the result will be that He will reveal Himself to you and He will set you free. And you will be a woman or a man who enjoys life as it was intended to be enjoyed, which has to do with dying to yourself and letting Christ lead your life. These magi saw Christ as a fulfillment of a lifelong quest. Now, I'm speculating a little bit about that last statement, a lifelong quest. I know it was a fulfillment. And most scholars would say that the legend, which was not a legend, it was an actual period in the history of Persia, there was this man, Daniel, 
who was a Jew. And if you study his life, he was remarkable. He loved God so much. And they undoubtedly had heard about he and how he interpreted dreams that no other wise man, no other magi in Persia or Babylon could do. He was phenomenal. And they had seen him, or at least heard of his, being put in the lion's den. And how when he was there, he kept his eyes on the Lord. And the Lord saved him miraculously. And the people who trapped him, that is Daniel, those people were thrown into the den. And immediately when they hit the floor there, they were attacked and destroyed by the animals, as were their families. But we see here that these men were taught the Hebrew scriptures, I'm sure. And they were taught about how Daniel had said, there will be a king who will come in Jerusalem and in Israel. And he talked about some of the signs associated with this. And one was this star that they had followed. They were astrologers and they followed the stars. They would be astronomers probably in a crude way, also not just astrologers. And what we know is the result was that they did find the Messiah, didn't they? So let's look again at our passage of Scripture. Let's look at verse 7. Then Herod secretly called the Magi. That's the way insecure people operate. They say, come here. I want to tell you something I haven't told anybody else. And they'll whisper in your ear. Can't you see Herod doing that? He was a 70-year-old man by this time. He should have outgrown that. But people who are insecure because of a refusal to accept Christ in their lives, the older they get, the more baby-like they become. They never mature. And they ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. He didn't anymore want to worship the baby than the man in the moon, did he? He was just trying to find out so he could kill this baby. What kind of man would want to kill a baby? What kind of person would want to slaughter an entire village population of males two years of age or younger? Where does that kind of brutality come from, that ruthlessness? Well, it comes from insecurity writ large in the life of a man like Herod. And let's go on and see what the response of the Magi was. Verse 10, their inquisitiveness gave way to the fulfillment of a lifelong dream. They had studied the things that Daniel had said. They had studied the stars. And all of that came together in a wonderful way for them. And verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is worship. When we worship the Lord exceedingly with great joy, with reckless abandon. And verse 11 says, and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. He was about two years old by now. They were no longer in the stable, no more manger. And they fell down and worshiped him. Allow me just one moment to talk about the word worship that's used here. It was a word which was used outside the New Testament to describe someone who fell on his face before someone who was a dignitary. And that 
person or persons, many examples of it, they would kiss the feet of the one before whom they fell. They would do that. This is the kind of adoration that these very dignified men of significance in their culture, men of learning, but they forgot about all that, didn't they? When they saw the baby Christ, what did they do? They fell and worshiped him. This is worship, friends, that we are, uh, we're willing to just love the Lord and worship him. And there's every reason that we do that. Look at verse 11, the last part. In opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. When you're in the presence of some dignitary, and that's a poor choice of words, not a dignitary. He was the greatest being in the universe. What do you do? You want to give that person gifts. They had brought gifts from afar, and they gave them to him. Look at the three kinds of gifts. Gold, that is a gift suitable for a king. Frankincense, that is a gift that's suitable for a priest. And myrrh, that is a gift. Incense is a form of incense that is suitable for a prophet too. So you see, Jesus is depicted in the gifts which he received. I got them out of order. Gold is obviously for the king. Frankincense is for the prophet priest and merge for the prophet. But nevertheless, what we need to understand is that they gave all they had to the Lord. And I love that, that they didn't hold anything back, but they gave everything to Jesus, the little baby. This is a picture of worship. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Can you imagine the tale they had to tell? When they got back to their homeland, they were evangelists for Jesus. Awesome to think about. So the three possible responses, at least that I see in this passage, to the person of Jesus is one of insecurity or one of insincerity or the proper one, one of inquisitiveness that results in knowing him and following him as Lord and Savior. Familiarity does oftentimes breed contempt, but not always. Familiarity can and does, in this story, breed complacency. I heard about a man who preached a sermon on this in the chapel where I went to seminary, and it was entitled, Are You Walking or Are You Talking?, and he talked about how the Magi were walking. They were wanting to find Jesus. And the scholars who knew everything, they were just talking. Talk's cheap. So what do we do when we receive the truth? We commit to the truth, do we not? And we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, do we not? And then lastly, familiarity is intended. These men were familiar. It has a negative connotation. I know that familiarity. But these men, they were indeed inquisitive. And that kind of familiarity issued in commitment to Jesus Christ. Do you have that kind of familiar relationship with Jesus? Not a 
health fellow, well met kind of relationship, but a humble kind of relationship that issues in worship and you trust him and you remember perhaps that Jesus says, and I've alluded to it in part, if you want to save your life, you give it to me. And if you give it to me, it's going to reap a great reward. Let's pray. Lord, what a day it is that we come to worship you. Thank you that you are a savior. There's no way that I could ever do justice to anything to said about you. So we're asking now that you'll take the truth of this passage, simulate us to evaluate our lives and to trust you with all our heart and not lean on our understanding in all our ways acknowledge you. And we claim the promise if we do that, you will make our paths straight. Amen.